Hi, welcome back to another episode of The Crime Hour. Um, Before I start today's episode, I would like to say that I have created a Patreon for The Crime Hour. So for the low price of just $3 a month, you could get early access to episodes. And in the future, there could be more benefits. So if you are interested and would like to support me, go to www.patreon.com slash thecrimehour. That's www.patreon.com slash thecrimehour. Today's episode is about the BTK killer. Dennis Radar was born on March 9th, 1945 in Pittsburgh, but grew up in Wichita, Dennis Rader was born on March 9, 1945 in Pittsburgh, but grew up in Wichita, Kansas. He was the eldest of four boys. His mother worked at a grocery store and his father worked on the railroads. Overall, there was a typical nice family on the block. Growing up, Dennis was very laid back, very quiet. He fit in with his friends, but deep down he had very dark, alarming feelings and thoughts that were developing in his mind. So that's already like a red flag, the fact that he was very quiet. And I'm not saying like if you're quiet, you're a terrible person, but that he also had feelings and dark thoughts. So that's already really alarming. Growing up, he had a distinct memory of his grandmother killing chickens and he got very excited and like he just really enjoyed watching that, which is uh, red flag as well. Like you should not be enjoying. <laughs> you should not enjoy the view of animals being killed. Um, it would be very disturbing for a regular person, or at least, in my opinion, it would be. Um, so that's another red flag. Dennis hung out at the river by his house with his friends, and they would fish, catch turtles and frogs, just typical kid stuff. Although his friends would say that Dennis enjoyed catching turtles, he also enjoyed hanging them as a way to kill them. Dennis would also say that he enjoyed killing other animals, and he also had a fetish for women's underwear. I don't know why the women's underwear part had to be included in his sentence, but I guess if he was going to say what was, if he's going to be honest about what's on his mind, that's what it was. And again, it's another red flag, killing animals. That's one of the first signs that of a serial killer. Both of these would play a big part in behaviors in a serial killer that Dennis later became. So already the the animal killing is like I said a really big red flag. Second of all, he gets excited over his grandma killing chickens. Um that's another red flag and third He was quiet, and he had dark thoughts and stuff. And clearly something was not going right. Um, The thoughts were clearly connecting to something more heinous. One event in particular would be a moment in shaping Dennis's sexual deviancy. When he was 12 years old, a teacher humiliated him in class, and he was really angry about it because, you know, you're embarrassed, right? Like, why would a teacher do that? So later that night, he went over to her house 
to get a peek through her window and he had rope with him and he tied it tight around his waist and I guess he was in the house and and as he watched he started having an orgasm and this became part of his fantasies later on so again another flag is raised by the time he was in the ninth grade, he was having sexual dreams and sexual feelings, which I think is not a red flag. That's really normal because when you're in ninth grade, you're like 14, let's say, and, you know, you're entering high school. And I think um, that's just part of growing up, right? You hit puberty and, you know, you're just curious. So things happen. In 1966, Dennis enlists in the United States Air Force as a mechanic. He would stay in the Air Force for four years. When he returned, he settled in Park City, North Wichita. It's such a weird name, Wichita. So, okay, so he went and he got, and he was in the Air Force. Cool. You do you, right? In May 1971, Dennis married a local girl despite the ha- the happy image that he portrayed as a community man. He still dealt with his dark thoughts. So again, this kind of wraps around, um, what's his name? John Gacy, right? John Wayne Gacy that I talked about a couple weeks back, right? Like he had dark thoughts, but he was still a community man, right? So people never really doubted him, I guess. Dennis would read detective magazines that often showed scenes of torture and bondage, and he would often put his twisted fantasies into drawings. So he would draw everything out that was going on in his head, and Dennis would read about serial killings and like just trying to understand uh, serial killers, know what they did to avoid being caught, um, which I guess is a kind of smart move. It's kind of like what... Um, Bundy did. Dennis made himself his own tools kit, which included cord or rope, gloves, knives, gun, face mask, um, handcuffs, etc. Just things that he you would think someone would need if they're like trying to, I guess, kill somebody. I don't know. Kind of like what Danny Rowling had, right? Like he was doing the knife and, you know, gloves, etc. I think they all just think the same way and, like, they probably get ideas off each other's terrible fantasies. On January 15th, 1975, in a quiet neighborhood with an extremely low crime rate, Dennis viciously murdered the Otero family. The family had just moved into a house on the corner of Mordock and Edgemore. He went through the back door, cut the phone lines, and went inside. I don't know who leaves their back door open or so easily accessible that somebody was able to break in just like that, but I guess times were different back then. In a quiet neighborhood, like I said, it was a low, low crime rate. Also, I forgot to say this before, but there are graphic descriptions, so just a heads up. 
When the authorities actually got to the house, Richard Le- Lambonian, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, um, he was the chief of the police at the time, and it was a scene he and his team would never forget. At the time, police didn't even know who could have done this horrendous crime, um, and it was stated that the intruder strangled the father, Joe, and his wife, Julia, then went for Joey, their son, who was nine years old. This intruder had put a plastic bag over Joey's head to suffocate him slowly, and as this was happening, he actually pulled up a chair and watched him die. Once he knew that Joey was dead, he took 11-year-old Josephine down to the basement where he tied her up, think, and he thought of having like a sexual act with him, or with her, I should say. Um, and although he never did this sexual act, he did end up hanging her. The Taro's three other children found them when they returned from school. So that's disgusting. Dennis is terrible, first off, for strangling the parents and watching a nine-year-old boy suffocate. That's, oh my god, like, it just, ugh, that poor kid. And same with the 11-year-old sister, Josephine, like, he hung an 11-year-old in her own basement. Why, I don't know, like, why these kids were not at school, I don't know. Um, but I could just imagine, like, what the three other children, um, like, what was running through their minds when they came home. And, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm going home from school, you know, I'm gonna have a snack, watch TV, whatever, right? Just to find out that you come home and your whole family's dead. Ugh. Poor children. This crime took the police 30 years to figure out what exactly happened. Dennis would go on to say that the killings were precipitated by his vision of the wife and the daughter. Nasty. He had entered the house with a pistol, no mask, so he had to make sure no one could ID him, so hence why he killed everybody. After the killing, Dennis rushed home as his wife was returning from work and he wanted to be there to greet her. This sick motherfucker kills a whole family, then rushes home to greet his wife like, Oh, hi, honey. How was your day at work? As if nothing happened. What the fuck? A couple days later, Dennis spotted 21-year-old Kathy Bright picking up her mail outside her house on Wichita's East 13th Street. Kathy was a Wichita, Wichita University student, and she had returned home with her brother Kevin for the weekend. Dennis was inside the house waiting, but he didn't expect Kevin to be home. Dennis had Kevin tie Kathy up, and then he tied Kevin up. But Kevin was able to get loose, and he started yelling and screaming. So Dennis had no choice but to shoot him. So he shot Kevin in the head, and then he started to strangle Kathy. 
except Kevin survives and he started fighting Dennis. He then grabbed a knife. So Dennis then grabs a knife and starts to stab Kathy several times, killing her. Kevin then ran down the street screaming for help. Dennis cleaned up his mess and left. Despite planning this murder, Dennis didn't bring any of his tools. Um, and he stated that if he had brought his tools, Kevin would have died. So, okay, even though he quote-unquote planned this, he didn't plan well enough because he didn't bring his tools. And I am glad that he didn't. Um, unfortunately, Kathy did die, but... I mean, Kevin lived. And again, it's just like, how did he get in the house? What the fuck? Do nobody lock their doors or something? Like, I don't understand. Especially if you were home, like, wouldn't you hear somebody breaking in? I don't know. That's just my, that is just my assumption of things. Because honestly, if I hear something that unusual, like a door opening, if I, and I knew I was home alone or something, I'd be like, what the fuck was that? At this point, Dennis thought that he'd get caught because he had left a witness alive, and he left quite of a mess behind. When the police got to the scene and tried asking Kevin for information, they couldn't get much out of him because due to the gunshot wound, it actually caused damage to his brain, and by the time the police were questioning him, all he remembered was that it was a Caucasian male and he that was it. Like when the police asked, oh, do you know how old he looked or what you guess? Kevin guessed. So the police couldn't really go with much information. All he all they really got was that he was Caucasian. So again, Dennis gets away with this and later he hears on the news that someone else is being credited, credit, credit, somebody else was getting credit for the Otero mur murders. And Dennis, he couldn't stand it. He was like, excuse me, that was my work. So this started Dennis's communication with the police. He wrote them a letter stating it would not end that. I will continue to create these crimes if you don't catch me. More people in this community are going to die. Signed, BTK. And from then on, Dennis was referred to as the BTK killer. And BTK stood for bondage, torture, kill. And the reason why he went with BTK was because it was his fantasies, the bondage of his sexual fantasies, the torturing of the victims, and then he kills them. But Dennis would not strike again after until 1977. Shirley, who was a single mom at home, had kids at the house, and Dennis came into the house, saw that Shirley was sick, threw up, and she was throwing up, and so he offered her a glass of water. Then he started to hurt her, and he was hurting her for a little bit, and then he decided to put a bag over her head and strangle her. Because, the, 
because of the time gap between the tarot murders, Kathy, um, and Shirley, the police did not connect the dots right away. <clears throat> and the reason for the year gap was because Dennis and his wife had kids. He had a son and a daughter. Oh, the poor children. And I don't even know how the wife, like, doesn't suspect anything. Like, first off, yeah, she goes to work. But I would be questioning. I'd be like, oh, by the way, what do you do? Do you go to work? Like, why are you always home when I get home? And because Dennis read all those magazines and how to, like, not get caught by being a serial killer, etc. He was able to juggle being a good father but also being a killer. And nobody suspected a thing. And honestly, I would suspect something if I was the wife. I'd be like, um, yeah, why are you always home? And, um, like, if you're home, what do you do all day, you know? Like, I don't understand. Do you have a job? Or, like, I don't understand how... He could be so calm when the police find these cases, like, gets to the crime scene and, like, reports it on the news or whatever. Like, I don't understand how they're so calm. I'd be, like, panicking, you know? I'd be like, oh my god, they found it. They found out they're gonna, they're gonna know it's me. Oh my god, oh my god. I would be freaking out. But I guess, if you're Dennis, guess not. And all the other serial killers out there. Nine months later, in December 1977, Dennis struck again. Nancy was a single lady, beautiful, and lived alone. Dennis went to the back of the house, cut the phone lines, broke in, and waited for her to come home. Once she came home, Dennis tells her that he had a sexual problem, ties her up, and has sex with her. Nancy was upset, so they ended up talking. Which I find really weird. Like, I feel like if you were a serial killer, like, you wouldn't stop to talk to your victim you would just not care but I guess because he was a family man he cared Dennis then handcuffs her tells her to lay in bed he ties her feet and gets on top of gets on top of her grabs the belt and strangles her he chokes her until she's almost dead while he's while masturbating into her lacy nightgown Dennis was a sadist. He was so satisfied and proud about what he did. The following day, he contacted the police himself and and reports this murder. And it was clear to the police that BTK is back and they were dealing with a serial killer. February 10th, 1978. Local radio station, KAKE, received a letter from BTK in the letter. Here, it's stated the responsibility of the murders of the Otero family, the murder of Shirley, Nancy, and an unidentified victim. He demanded the media's attention and enclosed a poem titled, Oh, Death to Nancy, along with a drawing of her laying in bed dead. So clearly, Dennis is a sick motherfucker who is taunting the police and the radio station or, and the news station and all of this like with letters. And 
just signing BTK and sending them his drawings of his dead victims, which is, oh my god, like, imagine the people on the scene having to walk in and seeing that crime scene, and then you're sending them a drawing of it. Later that day, police made the announcement that they were working alongside the FBI and other local agencies with a tangible investigation knowing that they had a serial killer. This is when gun sales and lock sales skyrocketed in Wichita. Yeah, um, I think at this point, yeah, I would be buying locks too. I don't know why any of you don't have locks in the, on your back door, um, and you're not locking up. Because clearly this guy can get into your house. Dennis is now finally getting the attention that he wanted. And he was able to show people in the community that he's the one in control. Showing that he's the dom, he's the dom in this. You know, the bondage thing, the dom thing. Um, because he's taunting the police and they haven't caught him yet. So he knew that he was able to, you know, oh, they don't know who I am. I'm just going to keep sending them these letters and I'm going to keep causing these horrendous crimes. And they're never going to catch me because, well, they haven't caught me yet. It's just a game of cat and mouse to Dennis. And he started to play smart. He took long gaps between the murders um, from months to years. The police were at a loss um, with the taunting letters from BTK that just kept coming. People in the community were scared and no one n ever knew who was next. Man, it takes you this many um, victims to be scared. I would have been scared the first after the first one. Like, that whole family? No, no, no. I'd be locking... I'll be buying extra locks for the locked doors I already have. After Dennis killed seven people, he went back to school to study criminal justice. Dennis's stalking and planning of murders became apparent in his BTK letters. He would call them projects, which entailed how he was going to kill the person, the stalking, what would be the best way to surprise them, and make sure that there was no traces of him. He would drive down the street and would see a woman, look at her, and say, You're next. Dennis's next victim was not far. She lived four doors down from Dennis. 53-year-old Maureen Hedge was missing for about a week. She had gone out to dinner with a friend and returned later around 1 a.m. on Saturday. Later, later that day, her door was found opened a bit and her phone lines were cut but there was no sign of Maureen. That night, Mar <clears throat> when Maureen went missing, Dennis already had an alibi ready because he knew that four doors down, police would be questioning people in the community, right? In the neighborhood, they would go door to door asking if they heard or seen anything suspicious. He already had an alibi ready. He took his son to a Boy Scout camp. Later, Dennis left the camp killed Maureen, put her body in the trunk of his car, took her to Christ Lutheran Church, and at the time, Maureen was already dead, so Dennis would just take pictures 
of her in different positions of bondage. Then he returned to the camp. Nine days later, she was discovered in a ditch. Dennis was also a Boy Scout leader, so he would use the skills on his victims, and this would also give him the opportunity to be away from his family. On a couple of occasions, what he did was leave the campsite, and he was really into autoerotics, um, which is the act of fantasizing and having sexual excitement of your own body. Um, so he would try hanging himself loosely, and he dug a grave and put a mask on and lay in it. Okay, he's he's all sorts of fucked. And then he dressed up in women's garments and would attach a camera to a cord and would take photos of his accomplishments. So he would take pictures of himself hanging and like doing all these weird bondage pose, poses and he would feel so accomplished because he's just so fucked in the head. Like where do you even like as a normal person this is not an accomplishment. This is just sickening. After the killing of Maureen Hedge, there were two more murders in 1986. Vicky Wedgery, again, Dennis broke into the back of the house, waited for Vicky to come home with her baby. He then drew a pistol at her, asked her to go to the bedroom, tortured her, tied her up, and left her on the bed. Her, hu- her husband came home to find her dead. In 1991, a 15-year-old boy discovered a body while walking his dog. The victim was 62-year-old Dolores Davis. She was handcuffed, tied up, and strangled. So at this point, many started to wonder if BTK would strike again, but nothing happened. Authorities started to wonder if this individual was arrested for something else, And hence why the killings stopped, because they were like, oh, maybe he got arrested for something, and that was it. Dennis kept trophies, like many serial killers. They always kept something that belonged to their victims. And he hid them in the treehouse in the backyard of his house. I don't know how your children don't get to it, but okay. Along with the trophies, he had his detective magazines and other self-created pornography pictures. Disgusting. During this time, Dennis's kids were growing up, so he changed jobs and became a, a, a compliance officer. This gave him the chance to show that he is an authority in the community, so that he, he gave tickets to those not following the city code. Okay, so his kids were growing up, and he changed jobs. Nobody actually knew what he was doing before, because it was not mentioned. But, so he does have a job, let's say, that's not involving stalking and being a murderer. But again, I don't know what kind of job he has, that he was able to be at home to greet his dang wife when she came through the door, but sure, And still had time to kill these people, these poor people living in his community. As years went by, people in Wichita began to go back to their normal lives. Then in 2004, 30 years after the brutal Otero murders, BTK resurfaced. A news station covered the 30-year mark of the brutal murder. Dennis saw and 
like he saw it and he just wanted more attention he's like i'm not getting any more attention anymore i need it so he sent a letter to chief william the new police chief who then reached out to former chief richard the guy who was there during the otero murder working on that yeah and chief william stated that btk reached out richard was in disbelief Dennis got authorities doing scavenger hunts all over the city by putting cereal boxes out filled with dolls posed in positions of the victims and pieces of their belongings. He would leave them clues or notes on where to find the next one or whatever item that he wanted them to find. Man, I would be so sick and tired of doing this chase. I'd be like, yes. We need to catch this guy, but at the same time, man, imagine just going to these spots and finding more cereal boxes. I'd be so frustrated. Later, Dennis made the mistake that helped authorities track him down. He sends them a note saying, if I send you a disc, will you be able to identify me? Be honest with me. I would like to know. Please contact me by writing your response in the local paper. The authorities knew that this could definitely help them identify who was. So they contacted BTK back in the newspaper saying, it's okay, you can send us the disc, we won't be able to identify you. So Dennis sent the disc. The officer dealing with the computer's crime unit was in charge of obtaining information from the disc. So opening the disc, there was a file that he was able to look into. When he opened this file, he was able to identify that the software was registered to the Christ Lutheran Church. The last person who had saved a document on this and was still logged in to the computer at the time was under the name Dennis Rader. And he was the president of the congregation at the church. And just like that. Dennis fucked up. Come on. It's two it's 2004. You think are like at the time the computers were not advanced enough to be able to identify you over a disk? Come on. February 25th, 2005, the police arrested Dennis Rader. Once he confessed, Dennis talked for 33 hours over the next two days about the crimes. Because he pleaded guilty, there was no trial. A plea hearing was arranged so that the evidence provided was heard and for the families of these victims to have a final word to BTK. The congregation turned against him, his wife divorced him, his children disowned him, and his friends deserted him. BTK killed 10 people. He was charged with first-degree murder, at 10 counts for each victim without the possibility of parole for 175 years and 10 consecutive life sentences on top. Today, Dennis Rader is serving time at El Dorado um, Correctional Facility in Kansas. And that is the case of the BTK killer. Um, this case was 
when I first heard about this case, I was really young. And I remember hearing it and I was like, oh, well, don't do what this idiot did. Don't contact the police asking, can I send you something and you won't know what it is. Like, and not think that the police would not be able to track you down, especially at that time. But I also thought, how did this guy actually go away? Like, he got away with 30 years. 30 years before he was caught. I mean, it's terrible what he did in the last, in those 30 years. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like if the police contacted him through the newspaper faster... Or, like, earlier. They would have caught him earlier. But I'm glad the police played along with his, um, I guess, game, you should say. I would say, like, you know, where he was, like, contacting them and stuff like that. But, yeah. Let me know what you think. And remember, if thank you for all your support. And if you would like to ch- check out Patreon, remember, it's www.patreon.com slash the crime hour. Thanks. Until next time. Bye.